Okay, I, I got too much to do here to, to do the radio show, I think. I'm just, oh, no, no, no. Radio comes first. I'm sorry. I forgot. So what is this uh, What's this mess up here on the screen with uh, Facebook? Is that some, that message? Did you see that? Uh, nothing that's interrupting our, our, our Facebook live. So we're just going to leave it alone? So okay. we're not going to mess with it. Yep. Well, I agree. I mean, I, if, it's, if it doesn't matter, as they say, then it doesn't matter. All right, second hour, Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam. Um, I'm trying to get a uh, text message done here. There we go. All right, um, because I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people this week because of this all this insanity we talked about at the beginning of the show with all these bills coming up in Columbia, medical marijuana in the Senate, paramutual betting in the House Judiciary Committee, and hate crimes legislation uh, that's going to be likely debated on the floor of the House that has the Bostock language in it, which is simply means that for the purpose of sex, that definition would include uh, gender identity and sexual preference. So it's the full LGBTQ plus agenda. And so we're trying to get the word out about this and try to get something done about it. Um all right, I told you in the last hour, we, we, we talked about this ESG um, regulation coming out from the Labor Department, and the, the, this labor rule has been overridden by the House and the Senate, but President Biden will veto that so that the ESG regulations can go into effect. Now, again, for South Carolina, that means that we need to support the bill in the Senate that is starting to get some traction. I think it's got like uh, 20 sponsors already that would um, stop ESG from being a part of what what's going on here in South Carolina, investments here in the state. So Facebook frozen up, looks like. Okay. Well, we're working on it, folks. We may have to um, just stop it and then start it over again, see if we can get that, get that rolling. Uh, do you know how to do that? Do you, just you can go ahead. Just go ahead and let's see what happens. Yeah, let's just go ahead and do it so we can get Facebook Live. I apologize for those of you that are following us on Facebook. We're going to see if we can get that back up. All right. Um, the other place that there's been a meltdown with Democrats is basically Biden's uh, decision to stand with Republicans over the this overruling the district, the city of Columbia. Now, we, we talked about that, but, but, but we didn't. I wanted to come back and emphasize the fact that this is a major break with President Biden with his own party. And that's, that's, that's the big news here. Because these Democrats in the House thought they can count on the president to go along with this. And because he's trying to get elected, reelected, and realizes that being soft on crime is not going to get him there, then he's decided to allow this bill. He's not going to veto the bill. He's going to allow it to go into effect that nullifies the District of Columbia's overhaul of their criminal code that includes a sort of a, a soft on crime emphasis. Um, all right. Uh, one of the things, of course, everybody, if you unless you've been living in a cave or you just landed here from another another planet, one of the things that everybody's been following is Alex Murdaugh's trial. 
uh, not just South Carolina, but all over the country. In fact, around the world, people have been fascinated with this. Now, he was found guilty in, I think, three hours, less than three hours. We talked about this a little bit last week uh, where he was just under three hours found guilty, and he was sentenced on Friday to two life sentences. He could have gotten 30 years, but he was sentenced to life on the death of his son and the death of his wife. And there, what, what fascinates me about this, he was also convicted on a weapons charge, you, the use of a, a, a weapon, a deadly weapon in the commission of a crime. But the two life sentences are going to run consecutively. And that's always fascinated me because, and, and I get it, I understand people try to explain this to me. You know, they'll say that, you know, hey, uh, the reason that you get a life sentence, two life sentences, is justice for both people. But in, in practical terms, it's ridiculous to say you're going to serve a life sentence. That means life. That means no possibility of parole. That means you're going to die in jail. And then you're going to serve another life sentence. When you say concurrently, then that means both sentences are contained in the life sentence. And so to me, that makes the most sense logically, because once he dies in prison, they're not going to take his coffin and put it in storage somewhere for another 30 years before they can bury him. I mean, it's that's essentially what you're saying when you do 30 years, 30 years, or not 30 years, but life consecutively. One life sentence has to be carried out after the other. Now, there are those who say, yeah, but if you get one sentence, let's say that you have an appeal and you get one sentence overturned. So then you'd have to go and have the appeal to get another sentence overturned and that that's why they do it. And the other reason is for justice to be handed out equally for both victims. It just doesn't make a lot of common sense. Greenville News is reporting today, though, that the Murdaugh defense attorneys are quickly going to file an appeal of their client's double murder conviction, they said in a press conference on Friday, attorneys Jim Griffin and Dick Harputlian, who's also a state senator, Democrat state senator, said they believe they can get Murdaugh's life sentence for the murder of his wife Maggie and son Paul overturned on appeal, questioning Judge Clifton Newman's decision to allow prosecutors to present evidence of Murdaugh's alleged financial crimes in his Colleton County murder trial. The jurors heard everything that would be in an HBO or Netflix documentary, Griffin said. Now, I did wonder about that. I mean, you know, he was on trial for killing his wife and his son, and they let in a lot of information about his financial difficulties. Now, the the prosecution would say that that goes, all of it goes to motive, that his financial situation drove him either to be a family annihilator, meaning he felt like that his wife and son would be better off if they were dead and not having to uh, go through what they would go through with all these financial disclosures. Or you could say that he killed his son so that he wouldn't have to deal with the boating accident trial 
which his son was accused of causing the death of someone because he was under the influence of alcohol when he ran over and struck this. Um, her last name is Beach, and I, I can't, Mall, was it Mallory? It's Mallory. Mallory. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Mallory, because I don't want to undermine any of that. That was a tragic, horrible thing that happened. Mallory Beach was struck um, and killed by, uh, by Paul Murdoch. And that trial was coming up. And, of course, in that trial, a lot of the financial information, you know, in discovery, things come out about a family. And Murdaugh's wife was getting ready to divorce her. Maggie was going to file filing divorce papers. And, of course, in a divorce trial, all of Murdaugh's financial information would come out. So to prevent all of that, the embarrassment of it, and that that this all might be made public, then he killed both of them. So that's that's where the prosecution would say, no, the financial information is very pertinent to the trial. We we had to have that in order to get a conviction. But the defense is saying that it prejudiced the jury. After a six-week trial in which Griffin and Harputlian did everything they could to undermine the state's investigation and prosecution of Murdaugh, their client was convicted on all counts in less than three hours. Earlier on Friday, Murdaugh was sentenced to two life terms in state prison after Newman delivered a scathing judgment of Murdaugh's conduct, including a string of lies he told from the night of the shooting up until his testimony at trial. By the way, without I, you get a hung jury without that video. You don't have the Snapchat video with Murdaugh's voice saying that the dog doesn't have a chicken in his mouth. He's got a guinea. You can almost say this was the guinea trial because when they heard, when that jury heard Murdaugh was there on the scene minutes before Paul and Maggie were killed, that was the evidence that turned the whole thing. The defense fought to exclude evidence of those, of the crimes of the 100 criminal charges related to millions of dollars he allegedly stole. Now, he's he still faces those charges. I mean, I don't, what are you going to do? Uh, you're gonna find, I guess a guilty verdict would help people that are going to go after his estate. I understand they just sold the house and estate for $3.5 million. Um, that's not going to come close to filling the pockets of people that are going to line up with lawsuits against Murdoch's family. And that's just going to, and you know, the, obviously most people would agree that they're entitled to get some of their money back because they were swindled. That's, that's the alleged, the alleging is that there's over a hundred criminal charges related to all of this money that he got by ill-gotten means. Many of them were children injured in car wrecks who depended on Murdaugh to soundly manage settlement money he allegedly used instead to benefit himself. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that, folks, when it comes to financial crimes. Okay, we're talking a little bit about the aftermath of the Murdaugh trial. Of course, the verdicts came in last Thursday, guilty on all charges. Uh, Friday, he was sentenced to two life sentences to serve be served consecutively, and now Murdoch's lawyers had a press conference on Friday afternoon, and they say that they're going to appeal. The defense sought to exclude. This is coming from the state newspaper, by the way, written. Um, who's who put this out today? Uh, Bristow Marchant. 
wrote this article. Even as Murdaugh now faces spending the rest of his life in prison, he still faces a hundred other criminal charges related to the millions of dollars he allegedly stole, stole from the law firm founded by his great-grandfather and several of his own clients. Um, Griffin and Harputlian believe that the decision to allow that, ev- that information into evidence was improper and destroyed Murdaugh's credibility as a defendant and a witness, but it also gave them grounds for an appeal. Griffin said the defense may pursue a a federal appeal because they believe prosecutor Creighton Waters' questioning of why Murdaugh did not volunteer information about a cell phone video shot by Paul after he was arrested violated Murdaugh's Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. That video placed Murdaugh at the scene of the crime, Murdaugh admitted on the stand that he had lied about being at the kennels to investigators. Now, there's a big debate about whether they should have put him on the on the stand. Uh, look, they had no choice because the evidence against him was pretty strong. The shell casings they found at the kennel belonged to his gun. The guns were never found, but they belonged to him. And so it it it's very unlikely that as the defense tried to claim that out, some outside um, entity came because they were mad at Paul or, um, you know, for what happened with the boating accident. He had received a lot of threats online because of the death of, of Mallory Beach. And certainly, I'm sure that's true. But so what What happened? They, they came, broke into the Murdaugh place, got um, Alex Murdaugh's guns, I mean, you you know, that's a fantasy. And the jury obviously understood that rather quickly. And now there's there, a New York Times article came out over the weekend. Was the jury out too short of a time? In other words, did, did the jury, you know, not deliberate enough? Did they not take into consideration all of the evidence? I think they took into consideration every, consideration every bit of the evidence. And putting Murdaugh on the stand was a gamble. It's always a gamble to put a murder suspect on the stand because of what they may say. And there are some things that he said. For exact example, at one point he said, I would never intentionally hurt Maggie or Paul. Well, intentionally, unintentionally? I mean, or he said, I, you know, what, what does that mean? Um, it, it, it sort of calls into question when, when he, and, and that's what happens when you put a defendant on the stand, every word gets parsed. Now, all these attorneys on television, they all came back, came back raving about what a great job Murdaugh had done and that it was going to be a hung jury at least. And of course, they, is it possible that they could have been more wrong? I mean, I expected them to be to deliberate for a couple of days at least. And I haven't even followed the trial that much. And people who followed the trial thought some thought that it would be a toss-up. Others said it was a slam dunk for the prosecution, and others said it was a slam dunk for the defense. So for it to be less than three hours is pretty remarkable. Harputlin admitted they debated about whether to put him on the stand, but he always wanted to take the stand, and he had to take the stand to explain the kennel video. But his credibility had been destroyed by the financial allegations against him. 
Now, I don't know if that's going to carry any water in appeal. Uh, Harpootlian and Griffin say they're going to appeal this all the way to the United States Supreme Court or to the Supreme Court if they have to. Um, and, okay, they, they've got a right to do that as long as the courts will listen to them. But I don't know if they're going to consider that his character was maligned enough that it influenced the jury. Um, I Certainly, evidence of just incredible criminal behavior, taking money from people who needed it, was, was going to cause the jury to look at him suspiciously. And, you know, I, whether a court will see that or not as a mitigating factor, I don't know. Reporters also questioned why no one spoke up at Murdoch's uh, in uh, in Murdoch in support of Murdoch at his Senate hearing on Friday, including his surviving son Buster, who earlier testified in his father's defense. They said it was unlikely they would have that would have made a difference to Newman's decision to impose two life sentences, and they didn't want to put Buster through more trauma. You could have had Mother Teresa speaking; he would have gotten a double life sentence. Griffin said. I think we talked about that on Friday. So anyway, that's the latest on the Murdoch trial. Uh, this thing's not going away anytime soon. I mean, b- believe me, they're going to continue. It's There's too many people becoming famous and making too much money off of this Murdoch trial for them to talk, for the, the chatter about it to die, now, die down immediately just because the trial's over and the guy's already serving his sentences, uh, his two life sentences. Um, there'll be talk about, you know, if they can gin up um, enough to to get a court to hear an appeal, then that's going to open up the whole thing again. We're talking with Representative John McCravey, who is from Greenwood, and he's the leader of the Family Caucus down in the South Carolina House. Good morning, Representative McCravey. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Dr. Beam, and thank you for having us. We really appreciate you, and I was thinking this morning, you know, I hope that your podcast, when you continue this, uh, stays on current events and stays on what we're doing in South Carolina, too, because you're a resource for legislators. Not not only the people out there, but, you know, when I listen to you every morning, uh, I I pay attention and I hear things I need to hear. So I want to thank you for that, and I hope you continue to do that. Well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. I am going to continue it. Um, in fact, uh, I saw a mock-up of the new website over the weekend. It's not available yet, but they're working on getting it implemented. It looks amazing. And um, we'll, so there'll be information on there for South Carolina as well as for everybody else. Uh, the new website's going to be drtonybeam.com. Real easy to find, D-R-T-O-N-Y-B-E-A-M. Now, if you go there now, you're not going to find anything, but D- Dr. Tony Beam with the DR. <laughs> Uh, when it gets up there, I'll right. tell you. All right, um, just real quick, we've got uh, possibility of a vote, debate, and a vote on Wednesday on the hate crimes legislation. And the big problem with that bill right now is that it has the Bostock language that defines sex as sexual preference or sexual identity. Now, that's the full LGBTQ agenda wrapped up in the Bostwick, Bostwick language. Um, so what do you see happening this week? Well, I'm going to... I'm going to work really hard to get an amendment to pull that out because that's not the kind of thing that I think most of the people who want hate crimes want to pass. 
and and I believe that they will take it out. And and so I'm I'm going to put up an amendment that that takes out all the woke language, uh, takes out all the references to the Bostock case. And let me tell you, this this bill last year, the reason it got through the way it did, with very little debate. I, I, I don't think there was any debate. We came back from lunch. This is the biggest legislative, uh, uh, I don't want to call it trick, but but uh, a ploy that I've ever seen last year when we passed this because we came back from lunch. I was ready to talk about it. I had, I had my talking points ready to go, and I was going to speak about the problems with the hate crimes bill on the floor. We never got a chance to because what happened was we went to lunch. And I believe it was a Republican caucus lunch. I can't recall, but we went to lunch and we were told to come back at a certain time. Well, usually that's 15 or 20 minutes. You have a, you know, you have a little bit of time in there to get back and they'll do the quorum call and then they'll get started and everybody has a chance to come back. What they did, I was coming in, I don't know, maybe five or 10 minutes late, like everybody else. There was probably 20 people coming in with me into the chamber and they were already voting on the hate crimes bill. Right. So there was a ploy to get everybody in there the second the clock struck to get everybody in. I've never seen that done before, and I hope I never see it again. But but uh, I went running in there and voted against it. That was all I could do. And, and I think everybody else was shocked and stunned, and they didn't want to complain because technically they were late. But this was a ploy that was done last year. So, so I hope that never happens again. But nevertheless, uh, I'll be there on time this year for sure. <laughs> right. And I think everybody else will, too. We'll be in our seats ahead of time because we can't let this just just fly through the house. We've got to talk about it, and we've got to make sure that the right language is in the right language, uh, that, we, that we get this thing corrected. Now, I'm not going to vote for it anyway. I don't, I don't believe in hate crimes bills. I, I, don't, I think, first of all, they're not necessary. But, you know, it's a statement, really, that, that big big tech and big business wants. You know, Walmart probably wants this. And I think they were pushing it. Uh, some of these big woke businesses were pushing this this in our state. Uh, you know, everybody agrees that crime, you know, motivated by hate should be punished, no, no doubt. Uh, but, but, you know, do you, do you punish those kind of crimes to the exclusion of others? And what about these classes, you know? When you when you enumerate classes of people that are to be protected, what are you leaving out? You know, we're leaving out other classes of people. So, what about the homeless? What about you know Republicans? What, what if somebody wants to kill Republicans? That's not a hate crime. What about uh, uh, postal workers? You know, what about teachers? What about the poor? You know, you can go on and on with long lists of things that are not included in this bill. So. You're actually saying it's okay to hate them, but we just can't hate these. And so, to me, that's a that's a backhanded way of elevating uh, certain elements of society over others when they should all be the same. Well, but, and I, I I went through the problems with the Bostock language this morning, according to Heritage, and I think that that Heritage article does a great job of showing how unintended consequences can happen when you when you're talking about the law. Because when Bostock was was de- decided, then um, um, almost immediately you had eight, ten, twelve court cases that that grabbed hold of the Bostock definition of sex and started applying it 
to, to laws, statutes that had nothing to do with employment. The whole Bostock context was Title VII, which is employment. You can't discriminate against somebody because of their sexual preference or their gender identity, as was the Bostock ruling when it comes to employment. But immediately that was applied to Title IX in cases where uh, women were having to compete against men and, and states were trying to pass laws to prevent that, and the Bostock language ended up in these district and circuit court decisions. Same thing with um, bathroom laws, trying to protect intimate spaces. The Bostock language migrated into those statutes and was brought up in court cases. And this is what will happen. My, the reason that article is so important is I'm trying to get lawmakers to see, and I know you see it, but to see that, that this will happen in South Carolina. Uh, this is this is not going to be contained within the hate crimes legislation alone. That's right. And so what will happen is if we adopt the Bostock language specifically about sex, then what will our Supreme Court do with it? You know, look right. what they did with uh, the right to privacy. They found that, that uh, abortion is, is contained within the right to privacy. They went beyond what our own U.S. Supreme Court did. So if we incorporate this language, what will our... Uh, liberal Supreme Court do uh, with this with this language, so they could they could strike down save women's sports. Right. Uh, they could they could expand it beyond uh, what what it's intended to do. So I just think it's very dangerous to put this in our state for our state to adopt this when when you know we got there are 15 other red states who have adopted hate crimes, but they didn't have this LBGTQ language in it. Right. I mean, so it's I, not. It's I think, not. I think. I think if we're going to adopt it, like you say, I don't want to adopt it, but if we do, we've got to get this language out. Let me ask you about a couple of other things because it's, you know, all of a sudden we're dealing with a lot of vice-like bills in South Carolina. Um, it looks like the Senate's going to be poised to take up medical marijuana maybe as early as tomorrow. Uh, it's come out of the Senate, uh, 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 I guess medical affairs is where it was over in the Senate came out of that committee. It's going to be on the Senate floor. So here we are facing uh, the open door of marijuana coming into our state. And another bill that's in the House Judiciary Committee this week, the full committee will consider it, is paramutual betting. I mean, it comes under under the innocuous title of the Equine Advancement Act, but it has – that's not the point. The point is the the second sentence in the bill – that calls for the legalization of paramutual betting on horse racing and using the proceeds to try to help the equine industry. How in the world, here here we are in red state South Carolina, we want to have marijuana, we want to have betting, uh, we got rid of gambling, um, and, and we're a better state because we were able to get rid of video poker. Paramutual betting will open up every avenue of gambling in this state. Well, you're right, and and we just had a referendum on this. It's called the governor's election, right? And and uh, the challenger ran on paramutual betting, sports betting, and marijuana, and he lost by 18 points. So that ought to tell us something about where we are in South Carolina. So I, you know, the marijuana bill comes over from the Senate. It seems like every year now. So this is going to be again coming over from the Senate, and I hope we'll be able to stop it in the House with some common sense. Uh, this this betting bill is a Democrat bill. I'm hoping that that certainly I'm not going to vote for it when it comes out in judiciary. It may come out tomorrow. 
I'm not going to vote for it. I'm going to vote against it. Uh, I hope we'll be able to stop that. So, you know, I don't know why. You know, all I can say is we shouldn't be doing Democrat bills when here we are with super majorities in the House and the Senate. Exactly. So, yeah. so you know, to to uh, to just sum it up. Yeah. So that's my sentiment, and I, I certainly share that with others. Believe me, I will be sharing that with others again uh, in the House of Representatives. Well, let so me. Ju- we, we just yeah, we let- got no business taking these kind of things up. Let let me just say as we wrap up our conversation this morning. Um, uh, first of all, again, thank you, uh, Representative McCravey, for being willing to take these strong stands in South Carolina to try to stop these bills. Um, but we also need for everybody that's listening to take action. You need to contact your state legislator. You need to contact contact your state senator. Let them know that opening the door for marijuana, which this is a prelude to recreational use, that's what it is. It, we need to say that over and over because it's the truth. And we also don't need paramutual betting to open the gate for the pop- possibility of betting on wide sp- being uh, pushed widespread in South Carolina. And we certainly need to make sure that the Bostock language comes out of the hate crimes bill. So you got plenty to talk about if you talk to your legislator this week. I hope that you will. Uh, Representative McCravey, thank you. God bless you. And uh, pray your, his you. blessings on you as you lead us. Thank you, Dr. Bain. We appreciate you, and once again, thank you for what you do and getting the word out on these things because it's very important. Okay, I'm going to be talking about this more and more as we get closer and closer to March 31st, which is Gary's retirement date. Uh, his radio talk is going to change formats. 919-897 will become some type of music format, and so the talk radio programs that you listen to, including this one, are going to be going away on the radio. But you need to know that we're, I'm working on a website. We're going to be broadcasting. I'm going to be broadcasting out of my house this program live from 7.30 to 8.30, Monday through Friday. So we're going to keep a Monday through Friday schedule, and then that 7 to 8.30 program is going to be, it's going to be a new format. It's going to be called, the show's going to be called uh, Truth and uh, Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam. And right now we're working on a website that's going to carry this. You'll be able to stream it live off of the website. Uh, you'll be able to listen, uh, that is to listen by just clicking on a streaming button on the website. You'll be able to connect with Facebook Live. Uh, probably uh, Rumble is where it's going to be parked as far as video is concerned. Uh, we're going to try to get that set up. Um and the website, I've already seen a mock-up of the new website. I'm telling you, it is it is beautiful. Uh, it's going to have uh, a, a tab that you can go and read articles that I've written, uh, columns that I've written, uh, mainly for the Baptist Courier, but I'm going to be writing new material for the website. Uh, you'll have a South Carolina tab, so you can click on that. It'll tell you issues that are critical that are happening in South Carolina. And of course, you'll be able to subscribe to the podcast that I hope you'll listen to. So all that's coming up and the website's going to be drtonybeam.com, drtonybeam.com. That's drtonybeam.com. And and it's all one word. It'll be easy for you to find. If you look for it now, it's not there. So you're not going to see it. But it's I'll tell you when that website goes live. But I want you to write that down and go ahead and get accustomed to it uh, because it's going to be important uh, for you if you want to continue to follow the show. 
And I know I have people listening. I, I don't know why we don't have anybody calling this morning. I mean, we've had zero calls except for uh, uh, Representative McCravey, and that's unusual. Um, but if you listen to this program, I would encourage you. I mean, I, I'm going to be able – I'm going to be set up to where I can take calls, but that's going to be limited because of the fact that it's going to be the podcast format. So um, if you want to weigh in, now's the time – to do it. All right, I, I want to go back and talk a little bit about why paramutual betting is a bad idea for South Carolina. I mean, I, I know that libertarians and that Republicans are getting, a lot of Republicans are getting more um, enticed into thinking, well, why do we care about things like who smokes marijuana? Why do we care about things like, like who decides to bet on a horse race or, or gambling? And the reason is because those decisions as a culture, if, if we make them politically, if we decide politically, it's truth and politics and culture, right? If we decide politically that it's a good idea to open up gambling in a state or open up the legalization of marijuana in any form, does it have broad ramifications? Does it have a lot of consequences down the line for the people that live in that state? Well, I want you to listen to the total cost uh, in the U.S., this is this is coming from the Georgia Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities. They've actually Georgia has been through this, and so they've actually gone and looked at national statistics and put together this information. But um, between forty and fifty-three, almost fifty-four billion, is the estimated lifetime cost of pathological and problem gamblers in the United States. Now, that's that's a lot of money. That's a lot of people losing their money. It's a lot of families that are affected. You know, we, we, we're seeing the deterioration of the family in our culture, and it's having a, a tremendous impact on violence in our schools. It's having a tremendous impact on, on crime in our culture because families— are where values are passed on and where stability is offered to a society. And, of course, same-sex marriage is a threat to that. Uh, but so is gambling. Because gambling, once a person becomes addicted to gambling, they, they face personal bankruptcy. Uh, they, the, the, it, it, it grows in their life. It becomes a focus. It takes away money that's needed to keep the family strong. So $5 billion, uh, that's the estimated annual cost of pathological and problem gamblers in the U.S. So $5 billion a year, $11,304, that's the lifetime cost per pathological gambler. That's about $1,200 annually. $5,130, that's the estimated lifetime cost per problem gambler, gambler uh, compared to the annual cost per smoker at $1,500, car crash victims, $3,600, pension with mental illness, $2,300. So we're talking about the human cost here to people who get involved in gambling. Thirty-nine. Here's the average cost to creditors per personal bankruptcy is $39,000. Gambling and problem gambling, pathological gambling, is one of the biggest contributors to personal bankruptcy. I mean, people get caught up in 
paramutual betting. I mean, you know how easy it is now to bet? I mean, it's you, you do it online. It's like pornography. You just pick up your phone, a couple of clicks, and you can use, lose thousands of dollars. I mean, it, it used to be kind of a, a sleazy exercise similar to pornography where if you're going to partake in it, you had to find a, a, you know, a dirty movie store, a, a store that was selling back in the day uh, VHS tapes or showing Super 8 movies before that. Um, in back rooms, I mean, uh, if you, you know, there was there was a price to be paid in terms of the public display for pornography. That's no longer the case. I mean, it's 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 a click on your phone. It's a click to bet on your phone, and you people can lose thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars. You, gambling is always going to favor the house. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm talking about things that should be just commonly understood, but you don't see casinos popping up because those casinos are losing money to the people that are coming in and gambling. You think it's the gamblers that come out big um, at the end of the day? Not, not if you've looked at the casinos lately. Not if you look at Las Vegas. Um, I mean, the, the thing and, and what always accompanies, you know, the un, back again, let's talk about unintended consequences. We're talking about the unintended consequences of having the Bostock language and the hate crimes legislation this week. The unintended consequences of gambling is always followed by crime. Same thing with marijuana. I mean, yeah, well, let's let's make something off of it. Let's let the state profit. I mean, people are going to do it, so why don't we make a buck off of it? Well, how did that work with smoking? I mean, we've got all these people with health issues that get into the health care system that cost millions of dollars, and now we've all decided that smoking was a disaster, even though states were making big money off of it. So now we're going to pick something else. We're going to say, okay, gambling is going to be the big uh, solution. We, we've already got a $4 billion surplus in state government. Do we really need paramutual betting to keep the horse industry going in South Carolina? Can't we just, if they're having problems, can't we address that in a different way than setting up another vice that's going to open a door for more cultural destruction in the state? I don't get it. I don't get the the philosophy behind that. Yeah, people want to do it. But there's a lot of things that people want to do that's not best for society. I mean, is the next argument going to be people want to go to prostitutes, so we need legalized prostitution in South Carolina? Is that how far our libertarian sway is going to go? Ira, thanks for calling. Hey, Doc, thanks. You know, you want to talk about destructions of a city with gambling. Look at Atlantic City. At one time, you know, you can go there and and walk the boardwalk nicely, and then they build up these casinos, and a block or two before you get to the boardwalk, it's all disaster. I mean, all the homes are, are, are torn down. They're, they're old. They're decrepit. And then you get to the boardwalk, and those hotels are now empty. It's easy to get a hotel yeah. in uh, Atlantic City than it is to get one at Myrtle Beach. That's how nobody's going anymore. Well, and here's the thing, Ira. That's another thing that gambling proponents will tell you, is that it, Myrtle Beach is never going to be the thriving coastal city that it could be until we get gambling dollars in here. 
That's just ridiculous. I mean, look, there's plenty of developers. I promise you put excellent restaurants along the boardwalk in Myrtle Beach, nice, really nice shops and restaurants, and people are going to go. You make sure you get rid of these um, shops that are kind of sketchy, that, uh, you know, all you have downtown, you've got oils and vaping and uh, you know, vulgar T-shirts and stuff. And I realize I'm I'm probably the only person that uses the word vulgar anymore. But I'm talking about stuff that's just dirty and inappropriate. And it's it's all over the place down there. And nobody wants to go down there with their family. And there are people who think that if we could just get casinos, if we could just get legalized gambling, man, Myrtle Beach would explode. Charleston would explode. Yeah, it'll explode all right with crime. It's not going to be a place where you want to take your family either. I mean, do you really want to go to Myrtle Beach and walk through a casino to get to the beach? I, I just, we've, we've been able to avoid that kind of nonsense in South Carolina. And we don't need to open it up now with paramutual betting. I mean, I, and calling it the Equine Advancement Act, I just, d- 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 that tells you, that should tell you Everything you need to know about that bill. Why would they call it that when it would represent a sea change in South Carolina to have paramutual betting introduced on horse horse racing? They call it that because it makes it sound like, oh, this is we're going to help the horses. Who loved? Don't you love horses? Did you watch Mr. Ed when you're you know he's a talking horse? Oh, I love Mr. Ed. Oh, the horses. I, I've seen Secretariat. We want to get sec- a Secretariat coming out of South Carolina, maybe. Yeah, you know, Sea Biscuit. Oh, it's all about no. It's about betting. It's about opening the door to gambling in South Carolina. All right, that's all the time we've got for today. Uh, Appreciate you joining me for a Monday. We'll be back in the morning at 7 o'clock with more. Um, I'm going to just keep pounding away uh, with the truth here. And, And, I mean, I believe the things that I'm saying are true based on the Word of God. If I didn't, I wouldn't be here doing this because I think that's the most important thing. I hope you have a great day. We'll see you in the morning, 7 o'clock. God bless you.